Hello and welcome to the MotoGP Extra podcast. Joining me today, as always, is Reese. Now, today is the penultimate round of the season, and let's be honest, it's been one of the most juicy rounds in Moto3 and MotoGP. And to be fair, Moto2 was a very intriguing race, also. Shame there's no title battle there. But we're going to basically start with Qatar. Qatar has been completely redone. I don't even have it in the notes because got to put it in but we're going to cover it anyway reese all the work all the millions and millions and millions of buildings pit complexes tracks curbs everything what have you made of the new and qatar 2.0 could you say yeah it was interesting to see obviously if you're an f1 fan or watch the f1 you'll have you've seen it previously like we have when we watched the uh the f1 qatar grand prix so it's it's not all completely new but Especially, it's kind of more noticeable, you know, when they show old clips of like the previous races, when they're like, you know, hyping up the events, and they show like Marquez Dovi and stuff, how different it actually looks. You, you, I didn't notice when they, basically when they went to F1, that it was massively different. I thought, oh, they've painted around the outside of the track, that looks quite nice, but you really do notice when you see it back to back. Um, the Something that hadn't really been mentioned before the weekend is that the, the finish line is now in a different place. It's actually closer to the last corner. Not quite sure why that's changed, because... They've obviously just decided to change that since some of the configurations changed anyway. Obviously makes no difference to lap records or anything like that, but just changes the the race because we saw in the past Qatar, well, it's definitely one of those ones where a slipstream first to line in pretty much all the classes actually. It could happen even in MotoGP as we, um, I think Jean-Mir was in like 21 where he got like dragged for like two Ducatis towards the line. So that's uh, that had changed things a little bit, but yeah, it was, it was good to see. The paddock was obviously quite big, uh, quite heavily revamped. Uh, not that particularly, you know, you see a lot of the paddock obviously not being there. You see it a little bit, especially on like TNT or as BT Sports, as it was last time they went there. But on that channel, on the coverage, you obviously see the paddock in the background a little bit because they do a lot. They show the paddock. But yeah, it did look like it had been redone. Also, there's a few more buildings. The city looked a bit more bustling, a bit more stuff. Obviously, as well, there is the F1 side of it that they revamped the track. But, of course, the, the World Cup was, was at Qatar uh, since we last went as well. So, a lot of infrastructure put in there. So, yeah, it looks like a big development. Obviously, some of the runoff areas changed. The curbs obviously very different. One thing, actually, that was fantastic that we haven't really got in the notes is no track limits issues at all. Because the curbs are designed to make you lose time. So, if you run wide, you get a bit penalised, but stop, you race over. So... That was fantastic. We didn't see a single track limits warning or no no laps really going for track limits all weekend. So, yeah, to be honest, overall, I think it was great to see uh, Qatar back. A uh, little bit weird that it's not the start of the season, but some nice revamps. And, yeah, probably my only criticism would be that they've moved to the, the finish line. I quite liked the drag to the line, but also I can see why, as a rider, it's a bit annoying that you get slipstream up towards the line. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. The line was one of the bigger issues. From the aerial shots and a lot of the the other camera angles, it looks very F one esque now. It it was kind of for a lot of the weekend it felt like GP was at like Bahrain. It looked it looks like a real F one track now. It's kind of not the the dusky, deserty Qatar and Doha that we're used to in the GP. Coming through turn three, as you have the long stretch from three to four on the right side there for previous years was just Armco. Now it's all like built up like um more like a Formula 1 venue, so I'm not too sure how safe that is as you come through Turn 3. We saw a couple of crashes there this weekend. Turn 3 on a GP bike could easily be 120 miles an hour. If you happen to go back that way, you don't have much leeway between a wall, which goes the whole way to Turn 4. So that was one thing I noticed. Um, And again, like we said, finish line was different. A lot of the gravel traps pushed back and just overall there's a lot of new kind of pit complexes everything looks like it's just been bought a bit um not that Qatar was ever uh an old and kind of 
neglected track, but it now it kind of looks like um, I suppose Abu Dhabi in a way, where it has these massive pit buildings and there's a lot of more, a lot more around the track. And again, like you mentioned, the World Cup, so it looks like Qatar has been uh, spending a lot of money on stuff at the moment. But we have a real bumper-packed podcast to get through, so we're going to jump straight into Moto Three, where supporting Dennis Andrew this weekend was his manier Keenan Safaglu and good good friend and training buddy Topak Razgat Yaglu. Now, I saw the two of them. I instantly knew Anchu's race was going to go one of two ways. He was going to mess up, or he was going to beat the GP lap time. One of the two. There was only two things that could happen. Anchu was so pumped before the race with having Top Rack and Keenan there. There was only one. He was, and it didn't even. He he messed up before the race even started. Race, take the start away from me. Well, he said he was pumped up. He was just obviously so eager to start the race. He couldn't wait. <laughs> he just went straight yeah. away. <laughs> but yeah, such a shame. One of those ones where. Obvious jump start straight away. He knew it straight away. Everybody knew it straight away. And that was pretty much his race run, right? I mean, to be fair, he did really well to cheat back up onto the podium in the end. We didn't see a massive amount of his race, unfortunately, because obviously we had some... Well, they had the championship to focus on. Of course, that's going to be the priority all the time. But on Chu coming through the pack is always quite interesting. Uh, he took the lead, didn't he, initially? Obviously, he jumped to start. Then he dropped back to, like, fourth. I didn't see how that happened. I imagine he just ran wide or something. Uh, then he got back up into the lead, then he took the long lap, and then obviously that was pretty much the last we saw of him until he sort of slowly started to come back into shot as he sort of closed onto the back of the pack and uh, did some good passes to actually get back through. But it's a shame for him that uh, that he ruined his race in that way, and like you say, it always seems to be whenever uh, um, Keenan and Toprak are there that it seems to go a bit wrong. Uh, it's interesting that I didn't see his brother. Uh, you would have thought Chan would be there. Um, he probably was, but I-, I didn't see him. I don't know about you, but... Um... Usually you get no, the didn't. you get them all together, but yeah, perhaps he wasn't there for whatever reason. Um, obviously he's not racing at the moment either, but perhaps he just couldn't get there or whatever. But yeah, I don't have a lot to add with it. Obviously, massive mistake. One of those really obvious jump starts actually did gain a little bit from it. Usually, like it's a bit annoying because they don't gain much from the jump start. Served his double long lap, had a pretty good ride up to third. Potentially could have fought for the victory if. Uh, you know, if he hadn't jumped the start, because he'd have been up there, obviously, to make up six seconds, you would assume that he'd be in the, the victory fight, but uh, I think he probably would have got slipstreamed. Probably he was probably one of the only people happy with the uh, the last corner being much closer to the finish line. I mean, uh, I mean, if he was fighting for the win, he wouldn't get dragged to the line. I think, personally, just on his whole weekend and on show as a, as a rider, I think, without the jump start, he is probably going to win that one. Just with the... The Sasaki, Masia battles, uh, other riders trying to get good results. I think Andrew could have probably put a, a pace on that race. And if, if for example, he nails Stack straight into lead, I think he could maybe not check out, but I definitely think he would stretch the, the group and we wouldn't have such a, a kind of battle race. It'd be one of those races where you might have kind of a top three, then like four down to ninth, then some kind of gaps throughout the way. But unfortunately, it jumps that kind of, I wouldn't say it ruined his race because he ends up third on the podiums, which is by no means a an easy job to get that back after losing basically six seconds, three seconds for each penalty. So it was a shame really because uh, they interviewed him before and they interviewed Keenan and Top Rack and Keenan was like, <laughs> Keenan bigged him up so much that it was like the race was already over. He's already won this one. He was on, he was just going to do 18 laps and pull into the pack for him. And it was done. There was no question. But um, again, we all, we always think um, Dennis is a bit, uh, hothead is the wrong way, but I feel like he gets maybe a, motion in in, in, a, in a good way but sometimes it can kind of get in the way of his riding so um 
unfortunate that happened but we're going to move on now to something that was also very unfortunate in my eyes and be interesting because we've not talked at all before this podcast we've jumped straight in read the notes and gone straight in because of such a busy week weekend and just everything went on we didn't really we usually kind of have a little opinions on what's going on in, in, in discord and throughout this but we've no idea what each other thinks of mysterious antics in laps seven and eight nine ten whatever it was early in the race in the first half of the race where twice into turn six sits up um Sasaki essentially the first time you could kind of argue maybe he's just gone off the, the racing lane at spit dirty and he runs wide picks up Sasaki not to crash the second time he does it does no question because he does exactly the same thing but yet he passed I believe he passed Colin Vera in there and he passed uh, Alonso in there a couple of times so it, it, the move was clearly possible so for me not great but I'll come to that in a minute I want to hear Reese's opinions first yeah, TNT kind of said it uh, the commentary that, like, funnily enough, he had no problems overtaking anybody else. It was just Suzaki. Uh, yeah, I watched it the first time. I thought, that was a bit strange. It's like, surely he's not just picked up underneath him. And, you know, tried to give them the benefit of the doubt that perhaps he didn't want to, you know, take out his championship rival, so he did just pick the bike up. But there was actually contact as well, I think, the first time when he picked the bike up and ran them wide. And I just thought, well, I hope that was an accident and not on purpose. Then, obviously, he does it again. Um, in pretty much the exact same manner, probably slightly worse this time, running them both wide. And it's just like, you can't do that. Like, it's it's legal, technically, although I think it is borderline. I think that's, you know, it's just kind of like the Rossi Marquez thing, sitting up and running wide. I think that may have been what he actually got the penalty for. I, I'm not exactly sure, because obviously it was a bit inconclusive at the time. But it's, obviously, Messia got a conduct warning for it, so clearly the stewards weren't happy with it. But because it technically, you know, it's not illegal really to pit the bike underneath somebody. And it does happen. Um, BSB, Glenn Owen did it to Tommy Bridewell at Brands Hatch. Not as bad, obviously. Um, but, you know, it, it does happen throughout other times. I think Lorenzo did it to Pedrosa once at like Valencia in a title decider. I don't even think he was against Pedrosa that day. I think it was Lorenzo versus Marquez. But I feel like he sat Pedrosa up anyway for some reason. Um, but I could be mistaken, but I, I seem to like, uh, remember that in my mind. But it does happen. And, you know... If he did it just the one time, especially that first time when you could argue, kind of like, it's a bit on the limit, a bit cheeky, but, you know, like, it's just about acceptable. Like, it's not really, it's a bit dirty, but, like, you know, if he did it once and it was that first time, kind of be like, it is a bit of gamesmanship, it is a championship. But to do it again, a few laps later, yeah, that's not really on. I mean, I didn't really think it was on the first time, but, you know, I perhaps given the benefit of the doubt if he just did it the one time. But then that was, that was Messiah, right? Messiah did it a couple of times. Uh, obviously got the conduct warning. Sasaki gave him a bit back, obviously, into the, the fast rights. It was a bit of contact when he made a pass, and they were obviously a bit more aggressive with each other after that. But, you know, ultimately, they both came off quite badly from Masia picking them up. Obviously, it pushed Sasaki back a bit further. And obviously, that's what he wanted to do. I don't know why he was so desperate to do it, because it's not like... If the points were the other way around, I'd understand it more. You know, if, if Masia had to get the gap to Sasaki... He'd obviously need, need everything to go his way. He'd need Sasaki to drop back through the pack. So I'd always understand it. Again, I'd still be the same thing, saying it's not on, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. But at least it would make a bit more sense. Whereas, Messiah had to win and finish fourth. That could have happened anyway. Like, that's quite a likely scenario that it could have happened. Obviously, Sasaki looked pretty quick and they were running one and two. But with the Moto3 scrapping and what actually did happen in the last few laps, obviously, like, Marrera um, got knocked off by Ortola, so obviously Ortola was out of the picture. There was a bit of contact... You know, some of the Hondas were getting involved all of a sudden out of there, like Ricardo Rossi. and so, so it could have happened. It could quite easily have happened. And we'd be like, great ride from Messiah, first place, winning the championship, fully deserved kind of thing. But for some reason, he decided to sit up Suzaki and, you know, mess around with him, even though 
ultimately he was the one in the driver's seat. Like he didn't need to win it today. He could, you know, if he won today and Suzuki was second, he's got a very good shot of pretty much like just finishing behind him and in Valencia, he only has to get like a top 10 or whatever to, to bring home the championship. So what, why like kind of put a black mark against your name? But you know what? It is it's one thing for Messiah to do it to Suzuki and, and whatever because they are the two fighting for the championship. But it's even worse when his teammate then gets involved. I know, again, teammates do play the role. And if, if Fernandez just overtook him a bit aggressively and then held him up a little bit, again, you know, a bit borderline. But fair enough. It is a race at the end of the day. You are allowed to overtake people. But like Fernandez had no intention of overtaking him either time that we saw. Obviously, into turn six, did basically the same thing that Messiah had done. Then into the last corner. Last corner one was worse because he he made no attempt at the apex at all. Uh, the the turn six one, he probably actually didn't push Sasaki as wide as Messiah did, to be fair. But in the, in the last corner when he did it, no attempt. He just went for Sasaki. He he wasn't even trying to make the corner. It would have actually he'd have been easy easily able to pull off the pass because he just had a lot more speed. He's pretty much level with him. But he just aimed for him. And ran him well out of road. And that was pretty much it. Suzaki's race over. Tried to get back up into the top five. Almost high-sided in the other last lap. But yeah. Um, it just put a bit of a, a cloud over the whole thing. I know I've been going on for a while. But just it's just not what you want to see. Like, I don't understand why I do it. Because he probably would have won the championship anyway. Like I mean, he might not have won it today. Suzaki probably would have finished on the podium behind him. He might not have even won the race if it hadn't happened. But he did seem to have the best pace, and he still beat everybody else. You know, regardless of that, he still won the race on his own steam. So you know, not discrediting him for that. But it's just why put a black mark because we've been going on about this year how well Messi has been riding, and obviously he seemed rattled. He seemed aggressive throughout the race, even you know, regardless of the deliberate pickups. And obviously Sasaki gave him a bit back once he'd sat him up, which again, fair play to Sasaki. I've got no problem with that because some guy runs you off the track. You go, of course you're going to, um, you know, give him a bit of a clip as you go by or sit him up or whatever. But yeah, I just, I just don't understand why. Cause like we said, with Messiah to run so well, or yeah, it would have been great for him to win the championship, but he just, obviously, which he has done, but he just, you can't put a bit of a black mark over it. Yeah. Ultimately he probably deserved the championship in my opinion, um, in terms of the actual performance throughout the season, obviously being on the inferior machine, but just it, it's just why why do it like this for me i'm gonna, I'm gonna go back a couple of years to my my favorite japanese writer ayagora when he lost the title to another japanese writer losing it to another spanish actually funny enough how these work out ayagora lost the title in 2020 yeah, was, it, it, yeah it was 2020 yeah Arenas, did he crash in Valencia? uh yes so he, he crashed and waited up a lap for him that's what he did wasn't it? yeah crash came into the pits came back up and then came back up and battled it and from that day i've not been a fan of arena so i've always had an asterisk next to his name regardless of how good bad and when i see I, not that i'm happy when he crashed or anything but i've always i've all i've lost a lot of respect because he came out and it took a long time for the stewards to kind of get involved and break that up as soon as he came out and was, did a lap roughly near them he should have been black flagged he's nothing to do with that race and again i've gone really off the beaten path here with this but the fact is in championship battles, riders do stupid things, and Messiah today has done something very silly and has completely taken the shine off the title for me. Do you see it as bad? Though? Is it? Do you think it's as bad as no, what No, I don't see it as yeah. bad. No, I don't. Definitely not. But like, I I agree with your point that if the points were the other way around and you felt like he had to make up points, again, you mentioned Glen Arm doing exactly trying to get Kyle right through and trying to create the, the situation where he could leave Rob Kyle on the last lap and then get the points difference across the line of brands. You could understand it. If I'd understand more if Sasaki did it. Because at the end of the day, you have to create, you have to try at the end of the day. Like most champions kind of have that um, 
have that sort of kind of mantra of well we have to try like if we don't try I might as well go home but the fact that the guy with the comfortable maybe not comfortable but with the sizable points lead probably wasn't as quick as Sasaki today I think the fact that Sasaki when he got past uh, into like P5 he made up like 0.7 on one lap over Masia I think it showed that Sasaki again at Qatar is, is really really strong but it just took the shine completely off of Masia's title for me even though all year long I've been completely banging the drum about him how he's the, the lone hander he's been quick many seasons before and just not been able to put it together for a full season and he's had these issues where he's crashed under the pressure he's crashed out of p6 and seasons gone by where it would have been smart to take 10 points instead of crashing and this year he's done everything right up until now for me and look he's deserved the minus for the title but that's not the way they should have won it um I, I don't see the need for it i don't see the need whole ganging up with adrian fernandez that was wrong um the two Fernandez brothers have never been the smartest, in my opinion. They've gone down well again. Um, not to be splitting Raul, like, but Raul has done some silly things in his time in GP and in, in Moto Two. But Adrian Fernandez shouldn't be on the grid next year. I think he should lose a seat for that. Um, like, I actually think the turn six one was worse than the last corner. The reason for it is because he goes to lunch, picks him up, and as he comes out of the corner, he's looking around him as if to see where that's is he, where true. can I block him next? Yeah, that's true. That that straight away was worse for me. Because the last corner is a black pass, a black a block pass anyway. So even though he's made it aggressive and kind of run him wide and stuff, it's more of a normal pass there. Whereas into turn six, he sits him up, and it's it's very Rossi Marcus because he's sitting him up and he's looking at him, kind of like you can see he's trying to force him onto the onto the sand. And then he comes out of the, out of the corner. He's a quick look to see kind of oh he's just there. I'm going to go defensive here and make him go around me and try and force him out in, in turn seven. So. Um, Adrian Fernandez, absolute dipshit for that, to be honest. Um, a layer part as well. Like, I know Messia and Fernandez are close, but I definitely think Leopard had a part in this. Um, yeah, definitely. Because they did the exact same thing. They'd obviously planned it. Pretty, it was pretty, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it was the same it corner was... as well. I mean, maybe, yeah. you know, you could say that Fernandez saw Messia do it and think, oh, I might try that. But yeah, it definitely seems like orchestrated. And uh, also, he's definitely not going to lose his ride because he's still with Leopard, so they're not going to sack him for, yeah, for doing what, they told, what, he, what he was told. So, yeah. Unfortunately, it's kind of the more the feeling more than actually what will happen. But yeah. it's just shocking because, like, the Dave McDur legality in the, in the championship was called into question multiple times throughout the years. Now they've never been hot with anything or proven proven innocent until guilty, I suppose, is the term. But they've this is messy this is not how you win a world championship and like I still look at like years have gone on now and I still look at Al I still don't like Albert for what he did in Valencia and I just look at Messina and I think like that was not needed and like he'll he'll go to Valencia probably podium maybe win it or some race and they'll celebrate and they'll come back next year but then like next year if he's struggling I'll be like well tough fish you, you've you've made your bed sleeping it like it's kind of the your own fault like it's oh it's just it was unnecessary we go back to the point where it wasn't as if the points were the other around. He had the advantage. He could have tried to... Fair enough, right? I know she's with the hard passing and all the battling and trying to make a race. But you don't... Again, as well, right? If you do it once, like, maybe you can go, right, look, it's all fair and love and more. But, like, to do it twice instantly is any deals off the table for me. It's, it's completely unacceptable. So, um, I, I the conduct warning, I, I could have stretched that to a one long left for it because he did it twice. I, I, if he got a, a, a one long left for a repeat offence, even though I think he should have got a conduct warning for the first one, uh, because 
at the end of the day, regardless if it's a mistake, regardless if it's on purpose, regardless if it's because of track conditions, he has he contacted another way and ran him out to the edge of the track. So it's a big mistake, purpose or no purpose. So that for me is a, a definite conduct warning. He's then done it a second time, which is two conduct warnings adds up to a long lap penalty. So for me, that should have been a penalty. I just think the stewards are probably a bit scared to hand out penalties in, in such a kind of heated battle between the two of them. But um, We've seen penalties for less. Remember uh, Bagnaia's penalty for uh, sitting on Miller by just going underneath him? (laughs) It's like, if that's a penalty, then, you know. Exactly. If if that's a penalty, that's two long lap penalties for each of the things that Messiah did today. But um, I don't know. If I was in that Leopard team, I wouldn't be too happy celebrating a title by winning it that way. Like, there's there's ways to win, and that's not the right way. And, like, what was the gap of 14 points? He realistically probably goes into like goes into Valencia with 10, 12 points over Sasaki. That's that's sizable. That like even if Sasaki is to win, which he's not done all year, you have to be kind of top five, top four. So even at that, like it's it's unlikely, even with the points going in. So he didn't need to do it. It's unnecessary, and we're going to move on now. I think you've probably had everything to say, as I've had everything to say about it. But it's just a it's a shame the championship, which has been a great championship throughout the year, has ended. In such a kind of state really so we're going to move on just to the overall race uh aggressive race from the outset it was really aggressive opening lap obviously we talked on the sisaki messiah adrian fernandez kind of business but just throughout the races there was multiple penalties handled out. a lot of riders kind of being taken out uh for Foley was taken out by rueda yeah it was rueda um, and who took out Ortola Marrera. Ortola. there you go so just messy incidents um it was just overall aggressive and messy race. It just, it felt like Moto3, it, but it was just like, it was like a full moon. Everyone was out to kind of kill each other. So it was just a, a weird race. Did you kind of have the same feeling about the race as I did? Yeah, it kind of had that vibe. It was all like aggressive from the out. I think it's almost one of those things where like, as soon as somebody starts being aggressive, everybody kind of does it. So like, Messiah mm. was stupid at that level. Definitely. And the younger riders look at Messiah probably thinking, well, if he's up for a fight today like that, then I'm definitely doing something. And, it kind of just spurs. I think the tension is kind of there just in all the classes as well in the races because the season's almost ending. Some of these guys are obviously trying to, you know, get better positions to the championship, you know, they're perhaps within, you know, position to, to get a higher position. That could be worth a lot of money to them. A lot of their sponsors could be literally, you know, fight for their ride or they could be trying to get a ride somewhere else. So there is, especially at this end of the season, there is that kind of extra tension because some of the seats are going to still be up for grabs and, Obviously, some of the you know, there's still only one round left, so there are some riders fighting for the future. So I think that always plays into it a little bit, but it did just seem like an aggressive race from the outset. You know, take aside what we've been talking about already, like you said, it was the two incidents there. Um, I think Munoz and Vincente Perez ended up off the track together at one point. Munoz and Finati, I think it was Munoz. Um, uh, Finati ended up off the track. I know obviously he lost the front and went off once, but um, he also then got ran off. I think by somebody else. So, so, so there was quite a few different hard passes you know ricardo rossi was putting some aggressive passes there was some quite aggressive passes in those uh, fast rights and people like running each other wide and it did just seem like a extra aggressive race and probably because of the racing line as well obviously the race line was quite narrow we saw that in indonesia it was a bit crazy some really aggressive passes people cutting corners doing crazy things so it just seems to be like for some reason whenever the track's a bit dirty they're like right let's see what we can get away with here but yeah, I think it was. It was quite uh, over the top. There were some hard passes. Most of it was pretty fair, but there the, the were, you know, some obviously went one over the line with crashes or or contact and stuff like that, which obviously you don't want to see. But I think there's there's a few factors. Obviously, it being the end of the season, people try to get good results, try to get championship positions, rides, etc. 
people, you know, other riders see him as Seer and, and more experienced rider, riders like that being aggressive, thinking, oh, I'll, I'll do that as well. And the uh, the actual track surface. So I think a few different things playing into that. And yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It was a really, really aggressive race from the outset. One thing I noticed when TNT went back to the kind of paddock, I suppose, and they were kind of talking, all three of them, uh, Susie Perry, Sylvan Gantoli, and Neil Hodgson, all said, they kind of all asked each other the same question, did you enjoy it? And they all said, no, I didn't. And to be honest, I didn't either. Um, from the outset, it just, it got ugly straight away. And soon as we see it, put the first one on it. At, at the time, you're kind of going, oh, it may be, yeah, because then they kind of, Gavin Emmett kind of tried to play devil's advocate. Oh, look, he maybe was on the dirty part of the track, maybe it was kind of in his head to think, oh no, I can't take out my title, I'll have to pick him up and run him wide and save a crash, but as soon as the, from there on out, it was just an ugly race, and the way the championship was ended, and the scenes in the pit lane afterwards, it was just a, a kind of an ugly, ugly end to a great season, but we're going to move now to Moto2, most intriguing race in the wild race, is that fair to say, with the, kind of the battles, the just a whole weekend, really. Just Acosta being slightly not at the races, and a couple of other riders showing good good speed. Um, from my money, it's probably the most enjoyable race since probably Barcelona, maybe. Yeah, I think so. It was probably the most interesting race in the world. I mean, still in terms of some of the other races, you know, perhaps wasn't like the, the best compared to like Moto Three, but yeah, it was it was quite interesting. I think most of the reason why it was interesting was because the fastest guy all weekend, Nardegar, made a mistake pretty early on. Had to come back through the pack. I think it would have probably been a bit more of a processional race if it wasn't for that. Um, we also had Joe Roberts, obviously, up towards the front, getting pole position. Obviously, goes pretty well here, but he had a pretty shocking race, ultimately. He had a, he had a good start, but dropped back in the end. So there's a few riders out of position. I think that's kind of what helped as well, that the, the order was a bit strange. I think the actual track surface plays a big part of that. Um, obviously, it's cleaning up all weekend, and the it's a bit more abrasive. It's probably like the one one of the circuits where the Dunlop tyres perhaps do wear a little bit, and it does play a bit of a difference. But we've seen this at like Qatar in previous years as well. If you remember back to 2020, stands out to me like Marini was fighting for the win for quite a while in the race. I think he like ended up, well, I think he ended up getting knocked off for P like P14 like the last corner of the race. Like Qatar does have these swings sometimes, where in the last couple of laps, like things massively change and. Because there were some riders out of position, it did definitely, you know, it, it made more overtakes than perhaps you, you would expect. Obviously, Acosta, you, like, you make a good good point, was just no way. He just did not have the pace all weekend. He just wasn't looking good. Uh, obviously, Aldegam to fight through. Canet was obviously leading for a little while, fighting for that first ever race win. Gonzalez fighting for his first ever podium. Also, probably going to come on to that in a little bit. But yeah, I think overall, there was a, bit, there was a few more elements, a few more people involved. Dixon looked like he was sort of, Back on form a little bit. Obviously, uh, he was suffering with vertigo last weekend, so that was part of the problem. And um, I think we were actually discussing it off um, camera like the other night, saying when was his last podium? It was actually Catalonia when he won. So it's it's been a while. I know he didn't get a podium this weekend, but he, he did seem a bit more up for the fight. I know. I think he did. He finish like fifth in the end. Yeah, he did. But yeah, which is why he finished in Malaysia as well. But he was much closer to the the guys at the front. So. Yeah, I think it, there was some good battling throughout, and that's not what we've had lately. It's, we've had some pretty processional races, and I think uh, we, we talk about the amount of crashes that they have when it's hot, greasy, bit of a cooler race at night. All of a sudden, some of those problems go away. So, yeah, I think in terms of Moto2, definitely probably the best race since Catalonia. Yeah, it's just the the big part of that race for me is that there was many possible winners. We had 
Roberts, we had Vietti relatively quick all weekend, didn't have an amazing getaway, kind of went backwards a bit. Dixon looking a bit more racy. Ayagora had not an amazing qualifying, but we knew had good pace. And then the fact that uh, Arbelino did go, or Arbelino, uh, Alguer did make a mistake, go backwards, it kind of threw a wild card in. Will he be able to make the time back? Because it was three seconds at one point he was off the lead. So you think to yourself, like week in week out we say that like if you lose a second it can take 10 laps again to have back but it just shows that the outright speed and just the confidence and everything is pulling in the right direction at the moment for Fermin that he was able to get that back on on track started to make probably had a couple of steady laps after that but then soon as he started to take positions it just started to flow on before long he kind of got back to the top three and when he got into the lead I think he pulled the gap and then when a uh, uh, Alonso or not Alonso Gonzalez got into P2 the gap closed for maybe two laps and then I think he kind of responded so in the end it was just a it was a race with many different winners and at any point you would think oh maybe maybe Joe Roberts looks like he's taking a bit of time out of Canis Dixon's right on the back of it and as they as Aldeguer was coming through you kind of felt that the front two or three were going right we need to we need to push pressure on each other now to see which one of us is really going to have a, a chance of winning it unfortunately in the end Aldeguer had just more than anyone and it was really really special and probably the reason really Reese, why he is on more than likely his way to do caddy what do you think yeah again he pretty much showed it obviously the last three rounds he's been phenomenal but untouchable obviously he's pretty much won them lights to flag whereas this time he he had a bit of a different race to fight his way through but still pulled away in the same manner at the front so showing that he can also fight his way through the pack when needed. Obviously, Silverstone as well. Obviously, earlier on the season, he won that race, and I think that was a bit of a lights to flag. So it was pretty much like his first win that was a bit more fought for, which is not to take away from you know his previous wins, but it's always a bit more of a mark of a, a true fast rider when they can make passes too. It's not just a hot lap at the front. Obviously, again, there's still so much skill that comes with that. I'm not you know, discrediting, discrediting any wins that, that come that way, but... It is, it's, it's that extra element. It kind of shows that you've got all the different parts and, you know, can actually come back from adversity because we've seen in the past, not just necessarily in Moto 2, but in all the classes when someone's looking really fast all weekend, they make a bit of a mistake early on, they end up crashing out of like P7 or something because they made a mistake when they really had race winning pace. We've seen it happen so many times over the years. So, you know, it, it could easily have happened to him, especially when you have got all these rumours. Obviously, you talk about him going to um, Moto GP. Obviously, first it was Repsol Honda and now it was Ducati is kind of where he's been rumoured to be. We've seen how much that can mess with riders' heads. Arbolino, I think, is a good example of that. It looked like he was set for a MotoGP future earlier on in the season. That, you know, he really, his form dipped a lot then. And so it, it can affect you as a rider. So for him to be able to kind of put all that to one side, you know, come back after a bit of a tough beginning to the race, fantastic, fantastic job. And yeah, that's exactly why he's been touted for MotoGP, because he can win in multiple ways. And now that this bike is working for him, it's been unbelievable. Obviously, at the start of last season, he was really good. Dropped off after that, kind of been nowhere till Silverstone pretty much. And since then, second half of the season has been pr pretty good. But these last few rounds, he's obviously found a setting that really clicks. And he's just been unstoppable. He's been looking better than Acosta, effectively, which is unbelievable when you look at how good Acosta was um, and has been this season. Acosta was nowhere this weekend, which makes it look even worse. But he's pretty much dominated Acosta the last few rounds as well, which I think he's started to bother Pedro a little bit. So it'll be interesting. And I think, you know, I'd be surprised now if Aldegaard does not end up in MotoGP if this whole Marini switch, uh, you know, comes into place, I, I wouldn't um, be as surprised if he doesn't go to Repsol. Uh, if, if Marini stays where he is, I wouldn't blame Aldegaard for staying in Moto 2. But if, if Marini does go to Repsol, I think it's kind of a no-brainer to go with Aldegaard. 
yeah, again, make solid points there just about how it looks like it, like Acosta came out nearly straight after his title win. He was like, yes, I want to win the last two races. I want to kind of show off that the reason why I've won the championship is because of passes. And I think the fact that there's another up-and-coming Spanish rider kind of making everyone look a bit silly at the moment in Aldeguer. I think Acosta is a little... I wouldn't say I wouldn't go as far as rattle, but I think he does want to kind of finish off maybe in Valencia with a... Uh, a P1 maybe a little battle with him and kind of a, an outright kind of demolition job of him before he finishes up the championship whether he can or not I don't know because for whatever reasons this weekend um, we just didn't see any of him but back to Fermin was so good coming through I, I did think right when he went back that far it was like, two, three, three and a half seconds this is going to be this will be his best win if he can do this but I was like I'm not too sure it's really hard to go off track or off line to make an overtake track is very very abrasive with the sand there's, there's many many obstacles between him and getting back to the even the podium and everyone winning and then when he got into the lead and when like I said uh, Gonzalez took a bit of time out of him he responded so it showed that he just seemed to have everything covered today and it was a, a brilliant w- weekend and has been for a while and him a prospect of him on a VR46 Ducati next year is really interesting. It's a, it's a, it's one of those things. We'll have Marquez on the Ducati, we'll have Pedro on the Gas Gas, and him on the Ducati. If, if that all came true, it'd be one of the more interesting pre-seasons and starter seasons we've had in the last five six years, definitely. So, um, just overall really strong, and I think he has a, a bright future ahead of him. And it'll be probably realistically you'd imagine it's going to be him and Acosta head-to-head in GP in a couple of years it's kind of like the the Pedroza and Lorenzo coming through where they're relatively same age coming through at a decent speed both coming through as as top level riders one of them was a championship or champion obviously whereas back in Pedroza and Lorenzo they both were champions coming up into GP so you never know we could have a Lorenzo did wait for Pedroza to leave though to win his championship so it's it's worth noting that true probably if Aldegar sticks around next year he probably wins the championship on this form yeah exactly you know if if it happens like that then it would actually be very similar be a shadow of uh of the previous two and uh and in the end, Lorenzo waits for Danny to move up, and which one of them won titles? Lorenzo wins three. Danny didn't win any, so um, yeah, we never know. So you, we've we've known for years that the Lorenzo Danny uh, battles were brilliant. We might have Pedro Costa and Fermin Alaguer in GP in a couple of years, kind of being the Marcus Rossi, Stone, Lorenzo, them sort of kind of uh, top top level riders. The, the Martin, the Bagnaia kind of battles at the moment that we're seeing, but. Uh, moving on to Gonzalez podium. Last few laps, there was some serious battles between him and Canis. Igora and Dixon were fighting as well, um, all while Alguero was kind of pulling the pin. It was a brilliant last few laps. Gonzalez does get his podium, does get P2 by a couple of inches. It was a brilliant last couple of laps because there was nice battles coming in everywhere and just, you just didn't really know where to look. It was very unlike Moto 2. Really enjoyed it. What did you think, Maurice? Yeah, it was some good battles because literally th- those two that you mentioned, they both went down to the last corner and even they're onto the line for the, the battle for second. So, yeah, it's, it's not something you tend to see uh, generally. Obviously, we do see these spread out races. I think sometimes further down the order we get these. I remember in India, Joe Roberts suffered a great battle with, I think it was Garcia, was it, for a pretty good position? Um, back in India, that was quite a good battle. Uh, sounded like Joe Roberts or Sam Lowe's were going high a bit further back. Actually, shout out to Sam Lowe's. His pace was very good today, it seemed. But um, unfortunately, mate, he ran wide, I think, at the same time as Adegare. And obviously, he wasn't able to come back through. But I think he could have been a bit of a, a podium threat if he was actually at the front um, and not, not made that mistake because he's set fastest lap on the, the last lap of the race, I think. So kind of showed the pace he did have. But yeah, the the, the battles that were going on, obviously, Gonzalez and Calit battling. 
both kind of ending up in, in, in almost the best way because they weren't in their usual positions. Obviously, Canet finished second so many times. Uh, Gonzalez passing him, puts him down the third, and Gonzalez finish, finishing on the podium means he wasn't fifth for once. So those two kind of put themselves out of their normal positions. But yeah, it really went down to the last corner there because Gonzalez obviously got the drive at the last corner to the line after Canet passed him. Uh, Agora and Dixon were going at it last couple of laps quite a few times. I was surprised actually to see Dixon go back at Agora because I felt like Dixon's tyres were kind of done. I thought it was kind of done. I thought Agora was just going to pass him and just pull away. But fair play to him, managed to stick onto the back of him. Um, but, you know, in the end, Agora just had that little bit more, just passed him at the last corner and obviously got up into that P4. But both the battles are looking pretty good. Um, it was good, good to see some battles because, like I said, generally in Moto2, you, you don't get that one. We don't usually get a last lap, uh, last quarter battle, let alone two of them going on at the same time. So, yeah, it was kind of hard to know where to watch because obviously the battle was kind of, the camera's focused on the second place battle, but you were also trying to watch the other battle at the, the top of the screen as well. So, yeah, it was actually some ni- uh, nice to see, actually, for once. Actually, some good proper racing in Moto2 because we, we, it does lack that quite a lot uh, because I think of how close the bikes are and, you know, a tenth here, tenth there just makes a difference, whereas people properly fairing, bashing and going at it, it's always good to see. Uh, as well for me, it was probably the last early race. It looked like Hannah was probably just after maybe stretching too far and he fought him back and looked like Oyagor was coming through so at one point the third place on the podium was questionable whether it be Canis, Dixon, Oyagora and it was it was kind of like a, a turning point where they were all kind of condensing into one part of the track but then Canis has a second win that kind of brings him through and gets a, almost P2 and uh, a good battle between him and the other Spanish of Gonzalez and then of course Dixon did such a good job because it did look like he probably just didn't have the speed of Oya at the end and put, brings it all the way to the last corner. And um, must say, Dixon was looking incredibly strong in a straight line. The straight line speed of that engine looked really, really dialed, whether it was gearing or just or, or maybe a slightly fresher engine than everyone else around them. But uh, I must say, yeah, it was, it was just a really enjoyable race for, for once. And unfortunately, we don't see enough of these races in the Moto 2 because they are a bit more processional and you have similar tyres. And I think we, we're, we've kind of talked multiple times on the podcast and probably off the podcast too that maybe next year with the overall softer construction Pirelli we might get a, a slightly different f- season in, in one or two we might get more of these uh, battle races we might get more tyre drop races which is, I'd imagine which means maybe last five laps we could probably see more action because there'll be riders with and without tyre and you might see people going forward and coming back a bit so It'll, it might change the championship up a bit next year. So I'm kind of hoping that it does in a way because I think Motor 2 has always been, it's kind of good, solid and reliable, but never anything special. And I think it's kind of what we've seen at the fact that the Honda engines were brilliant for reliability, never anything special. Triumph engines are a bit more unique and a bit more interesting, but still great for reliability. The frames are all very stiff, rigid. Nothing, they don't really work that amazing. And then the tires are kind of, wouldn't go as far as saying bowling ball tires but they are really kind of stiff construction so they um kind of long last last few laps riders setting personal rests and going as fast as they have done in qualifying so it just shows that after a full race even the tires are still kind of at a decent level so maybe next year probably we might see something different but pretty much sums up moto 2 for this week now we're going to move on to gp and we're going to go straight into the action peco and Martin Contington sprint twice. One of them was into turn one. One of them into turn six. Turn six is a bit more egregious for me. He kind of runs in deep and just kind of bumps into him. Turn one, 
25 million bikes trying to funnel into three inches of racetrack it happens so i'm not really too concerned about that. It's just two riders looking through the corner a small tap and again i think peck will probably agree that that wasn't much in it but i definitely see a bit of a bit of spiciness in the in the send into turn six because he kind of makes a decision and probably is a bit further back than he realizes because he doesn't really make the apex does kind of touch peco and if you've seen some of the slow-mos as peco comes in you can just see him kind of look across and he kind of as he gets a little nudge from Jorge. but um what did you make of the just sprint especially between the two of them and just the, the contact do you agree or disagree with my my findings was it not like turn 10 where they they had the second piece of contact like onto the straight or am I mistaken in that one? Rather than the six, I'm seven. very sure it's six. But uh, yeah. when you're given your verdict, I'll find out in the back. Yeah, it, what, yeah, whatever. It doesn't doesn't make much difference because the corners are quite similar anyway in terms of yeah, the, the way you go for it. So, uh, yeah, the, the the start there wasn't really any problem with that because I don't even know if they did necessarily make full contact or just a little bit. But Martin was sort of just going to the corner and Banya was just tipping in with his line. They just sort of met in the middle. One of those things. I don't think anyone's gonna be that bothered about that because. Pecco just had to pick up a little bit. It didn't even really compromise him at all. It wasn't like a, a heavy hit. Whereas, like you say, the, the next incident was more of a proper bit of contact. Like, he properly moved about the way because he sent it. It was difficult because of how, again, how narrow the racing line was. You kind of had to pass close. And perhaps he misjudged it slightly there. But you get that into into those turns. You, you kind of have uh, a little bit of contact when you go in. It, it, lo- it didn't look too bad initially, actually, just a little bit of touching, but from the other camera where you probably see, he kind of hits him like two or three times, really. He like, hits his shoulder and then like sort of his head and uh, like Pekar's a look at him. So it was it was on the limit. Uh, didn't really push him wide or anything, just a little bit of touching. You know, you're not going to... Well, uh, the stewards at Hareth might have given penalties for that, but generally you're not going to give a penalty for anything <laughs> like that. It's, it's, you know, it's not that bad. It's It kind of happens when you race, and they're racing for a championship. We saw you know, dirty riding in Moto3. It was nothing like that. So uh, obviously we hadn't seen that at that point, but, you know, looking back on it now, obviously we, we've seen what dirty riding probably looks like. So I don't think it's really a problem, a little bit of contact. I don't think um, Banyar was particularly bothered about it when he was asked about it either. I think he pretty much said after as well, Martin's kind of started it now. So, you know, perhaps I'll give him a bit back. But yeah, I don't think there was much of a problem with it. Obviously, Martin has to risk everything. He has to beat Banyar. Banyar can't just sit behind Martin. So, of course, Martin's going to be a bit more aggressive. He's, he's got to go for it. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's worth reading into too much. They seem okay as well. Um, obviously, I didn't realise how close friends they were um, in Moto3 till sort of this weekend. All that footage has come out and the, the little thing they've made and all the interviews they've done together. They seem to get on relatively okay and seems like they probably still will. So, yeah, a little bit of contact, but I, I wouldn't say particularly a, a problem. You are correct, it was actually turn 10, but uh-huh. watching it back, I still had to watch it a few times to, it wasn't until the exit of the corner that I realised, so it just, just shows that that corner from certain camera angles looks identical and... Remember uh, this, guys, I was right, Dill was wrong. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> bottom line is we all know who won this episode, so um, unfortunately I got it wrong, but uh, pretty much agree, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't by any means dirty or aggressive he goes for an overtake it was aggressive over, and it, in fairness <laughs> well, yeah okay it was aggressive but it was fair like i think it was there was there wasn't anything wrong with it. again it's modern day racing i think there's nearly always context it's just the size of these bikes these days are getting bigger they're on a track that has at most a meter and a half to two meters of racing line you can't really give them that much space in your passing and it martin doesn't make the apex by any sense of the word so unfortunately it does go a bit wide and Pecco is kind of left just below that but um, like I said they seem to both kind of 
kind of brush it off as like he was racing. They're kind of more happy with it, and uh, it was it was good to see him actually getting close to each other because we've had over the last three four seasons championships where the first and second rarely come together on track. So it's actually good that we're seeing these last few rounds that they are throughout the season because they battled a lot in, in Saxoning as well and stuff. So it, it shows that even though it's gone down to the final race now and they've been close throughout the season, it's good to see they've had on-track battles because we haven't seen a 2007 or 2008, 2009 year season where there's two riders throughout the season week in, week out going at each other. So it's good to see kind of recently that we've had the two kind of top men of the season fighting it up may be for fourth or fifth but at least they're fighting against each other which it's an interesting dynamic but uh potentially dud tires in the sprint and i'm going to add that to the main race now we are recording this pretty much an hour maybe at this point after the the race so we're pretty much um directly after so we don't have any information on what happened to martin in the main race but it looks like potentially a dud tire according to Peko. he kind of hinted at it they're all kind of under contract with the teams and with michelin that they can never kind of come out and just slate them but they do all they like to drop a kind of grain of sugar and salt they're just kind of just to kind of throw it into your head that maybe maybe sometimes there's a dud tire and it looked like potentially judging by the fact that uh what Peko did in the main race and what um, his sprint pace was just no he said he had absolutely no rear grip mar uh look really had very similar situation where he said after four laps his rear tire was done which with it being the hard rear tire is very interesting do you think dud tire was an issue with either peco in the sprint martin in the main race or do you just reckon it's um rider devices and all the other gizmos kind of acting up again i think potentially it's possible but we do get it every so often that there's that you get a bit of a dud tire um it did seem like banyard was obviously quite slow in the sprint obviously wasn't as slow as martin was in the main race so you know, maybe. I mean, I suppose one dud tire could be worse than another, or it could affect the rider worse. But you know, it, obviously, he's not going to come out and say it. Um, he's not going to say he had a dud tire. Perhaps he just didn't get the feeling from the tire. Sometimes if they've been through a heat cycle or something, that you know, that they're not the same. Even though apparently they are the same chemically, the riders will say that they're not. They are different. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what's happening with uh, Bagnaia in the sprint race. Potentially, he could have had a dodgy tire. Obviously, like you said, Marini um, seemed to struggle with his tire quite a bit. Martin was obviously fine in the sprint, but in the main race, he, you know, even from the start, he almost high-sided off the grid, and then it was just terrible the whole time. Whether he had another issue, who knows, because we, we don't know at this point. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I wasn't on the bike. I don't make the tyres, so, you know, I can't say for definite, but definitely a possibility of a dud tyre, but we have seen it. I think Valentino Rossi had one back at Silverstone, like, 2021, so that's just the first example that comes to mind, but there's been plenty of other times where people have said, yeah, that tyre didn't feel right, and it, it does happen. I mean, at the end of the day, they are made in batches. Obviously, you do. They probably do have quality testing on them, but you know, sometimes perhaps it just doesn't quite work, or you know, maybe they do something without realizing it, like on the warm-up lap or or something, and it just the tire just kind of ruins the surface or something. I don't know. I, I don't know a lot about how tires actually work inside, but yeah, I mean, it's quite possible because um, Marini. I'm not so sure. He got a podium in both races. I don't think he probably had anything wrong with his tire in either race because it just seemed too fast for that to, to to be a thing he perhaps just kind of it just perhaps didn't respond the way expected perhaps he just wasn't that happy with the feeling but with him still being on the podium in the sprint i don't think he had probably a dud tire but banyaya definitely could have done because he was obviously struggling a lot which is unlike banyaya but then we have seen that as well he, he rides a bit tight especially in the sprint races so it's a handy excuse right if you're not outright saying it you can kind of get away with it so 
yeah, uh, potentially. It, it could have happened, could not have happened. You know, Maybe it could just be the feeling with the tyre. You never know. It could be an electronic problem. You know, They're probably going to be more likely going to try and blame the tyre than their own bike because, you know, yes, they have contracts, but Ducati would rather you say Michelin's bad than Ducati's bad. So, yeah, um, I, I, I think it's possible, especially with Bagnaia, not so much Marini. but um, And obviously in the main race, I think there's, there's definitely something wrong with Martin, whether that was a, a dud tyre or another bike issue. I don't know, but there was definitely, he obviously wasn't right uh, at all. Jorge Martin was claimed that he was livid tonight. Slams Michelin and stolen the world title is some of the words he's been used at the moment. So pretty much confirms that he blames 100% Michelin for a dud rear tyre and slams that. Be a nice find for him. Title. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So not only has he pretty much lost one hand in the championship or given one hand to Peko on the championship, he's got a, a nice little fine for him and maybe the, the team as well for his conduct. But... Uh, to explain to some people, I know a lot of people during the uh, broadcast, I think Haji and Ev Gavinimit were kind of speculating, some people on, on social media were saying that the tyre might have spun on the rim. The reason that you kind of think your head it goes right to tyre just sits differently, so surely if it kind of gets another under load, it'll be fine, but the issue is uh, a wheel has weights on it to bounce out high and low spots in the tyre. If your tyre actually spins on the rim, the whole axis of it kind of moves across which means the weight's in the wrong position and what that will do is instead of dampening and kind of getting rid of vibrations it will actually multiply them meaning more so if no again according to him it was a dud tire whether it was a dud tire because it's spun on the rim off the line we don't know but just to kind of give a bit of a technical idea of exactly what would have happened if this tire did slightly move on the rim from such a, an aggressive start and the way it kind of bucked and weaved and span if it just rotated a couple of inch or a couple of mil sorry or degrees which whatever you want to look at it the wheel weights would have been completely out of position and then it would have just given a, a, an imbalance in the rear wheel and that would have um been felt um pretty much throughout the bike especially at full lean giving it a small bit of throttle if it was a rear tire skipping a bit it would just have felt horrible and would have given him very little confidence out of the corner um throughout the throughout the track would have affected him but it would have been especially bad on edge grip and stuff like that because the tire would have just not been working with him it wouldn't working against him so that's just a kind of a or a quick and raw explanation of what could have been if the tire moved for me it's probably a dud tire um it's unlike i'm heavily not heavily against i'm a, kind of a bit skeptical left it's on the rim um just because you would see chatter a bit more we saw a lot of Harge martin on on track and on screen throughout the race because of him having issues and we saw a lot of them and i didn't see any you would visibly see chatter on one of those bikes you can see it a lot really so if it did move that much you would have saw it a bit more in my opinion so that kind of maybe rules it out for me that it probably didn't move on the rim but uh tires is kind of what he's going with and it's um it's a shame, really, because he gets the terrible start. He goes back to kind of P6, and then a massive gap opens up. Peko leads, and we're all thinking, no, this is how the championship's going to end. And then for maybe halfway through the race, they're thinking, maybe he's just taking it really cautiously, and he's going to come back at him. But then I was thinking, he's so far back, surely not. But it's um, it's just a it's just a, a sad, really, race today. Again, it just this whole weekend has kind of been a bit, especially Sunday's just been not been a great weekend and we had issues on Saturday as well which we'll cover in a bit but um, it's just Motor 3 left a sour taste in mouth and I kind of I'm a bit disappointed in the GP race because of I'm I'm quite neutral I like Peko I like Arga Martin um, I'm not really leaning either way um, it'd be nice to see Peko get a 
get the title because he's probably deserved it over the season if I had to kind of pick one. I've always felt like even after the instance in Catalonia, I've kind of always been leaning slightly toward Peko to get it to bring it home me just because he's been in this situation before. He's in the factory team, already been a champion. And so I always felt like maybe there was a slight advantage in his camp. And I just think this is probably taking the title out of Horg and Martin's hands, which is not the way you want to see it. You don't like to see championships decided by a technicality. You want to see it go down to Valencia, where they absolutely storm away in the final race of the season and they're battling 1-2 the whole way to the finish line. That's decided in the last laps. That's how you want to see a title decided. So um, if if we won't, again, it's about roughly two hours now since the race has ended, I'd say roughly. So... Um, in the next hours and days we'll find out we'll hear statements from Michelin they'll definitely review the tyre more than likely they'll come out and say there's nothing wrong it's rare and at such high stakes they're probably not going to come out and admit that it's wrong even if it, if I had it it wasn't done so um, it, it's just a messy situation unfortunately it looks like that's going to be a massive deciding in the championships going to move on to something a bit more upbeat Digi Antonio Delight was really quick in the sprint, had his front right height device, which I didn't think was a thing anymore, apparently stuck on for the first half a lap in the sprint, explained his bad first lap. Um, maybe the information is incorrect, because I believe they're no longer on the bikes. It was ruled out last year, unless it's something that the rear, high, rear right height device stuck the front down or something. But whatever reason, one of the right height devices that was on the bike failed once again. Surprise, surprise. And he had basically... No performance in the first half a lap. Went back off the start. Got one of his worst starts. And battled back to P2. Could have won the sprint. Did win the main race. Perfect weekend for Digi Antonio. Well, a perfect weekend would have been a, a win in the sprint as well. But yeah, pre- pretty much. I mean, he's been fast, hasn't he? For uh, for quite a while. Well, not quite a while, but the last few rounds. Bas- basically since uh, Philip Island. Pretty much since Mark Marquez signed on the dotted line. Um, Digi, Digi has been very, very fast. Almost a flat. I oh, will turn your engine back up now that we've uh, we've got Marquez secured. But yeah, he's been really fast. Obviously, I think he had a bit of a bad weekend at Malaysia. Maybe not bad, but a bit of a weaker weekend. But even from Friday, he was looking quick. Qualified on the front row. You know, he, he has done that before. But you know, on this form, it's like you know he might actually be able to compete in the race. Obviously, so close to winning in the sprint, just not able to pass Martin. And in the main race, him and Banyaya were miles clear of everybody else. And I'm so happy that Digi won. I'm so, so happy for him because, it's, you know, this is probably... He's not going to actually be right at the moment. So this could be his last chance to win a GP race ever. And, and he's took it. So, you know, hats off to him. Because not a lot of riders have won GP races. There's been some fantastic riders over the years that haven't won GP races. Colin Edwards always comes to mind with that one. that He never, he never managed to win one. So... You know, there's lots of riders throughout the, their careers that have never managed to win one, especially these ones that get you know sort of chewed up and spit out quite quickly. Like Laquona, for example, was only in the class for a couple of years before he got sort of dropped a bit similar to Digi, and he's managed to bring home a win. And I think that does change things for him a little bit. But yeah, just just great to see because he looked fast. He's been looking fast the last few rounds. He's such a nice guy. Glad to hear as well that it's kind of well. Not actually glad in a way, almost a little bit disappointed to hear that it was just a setup change that's, that's changed these things. They could have made this this change a lot earlier. They've kind of gone away from the Ducati setup and it's working for Digi really well. Do want to touch on the sprint race. Obviously, like you say, he had his uh, front right height device stuck on for a little bit. I believe they're still allowed to use them on the start. I think it's actually around the lap they're not allowed them anymore. Because uh, I thought that too, um, to be honest, when I heard it, but I thought that they they do the the front does drop down as well on the start so i think they are still allowed them for the uh 
at the start of the race because if you actually look at them when they're on the grid, they're really low front and rear. But if you look at them during the race, it's only the rear that lowers down. So, yeah, I think that's what where it was outlawed. I think it was outlawed for the for the rest of the race. But quite frankly, get rid of a lot of them as far as I'm concerned for the start for everything. And I think that is something that's actually being talked about by the sounds of it. But yeah, back to Digi Antonio. Just what a weekend for him. Yeah, not quite perfect because he didn't win the sprint as well, but he came so, so close. And then to actually bring home the win in Qatar, just just great. And I feel sorry for the guy that obviously is losing his MotoGP seat. Obviously, we see, we're seeing online a lot that he deserves a seat. And obviously, yeah, race winner he does. But, you know, he lost his seat when he was finishing P17 every weekend. It's not like he was winning the races then and he got sacked and it's really unfair. He, he wasn't delivering, hadn't delivered for a year and a half lost his job obviously they've now found this step maybe getting fired did light a fire a little bit as well because that does happen to some riders and he has been really good now and it'd be good to see him maybe in contention for that vr46 seat or the repsol seat depending on how it goes but it doesn't look like he's probably gonna stay in motor gp he's probably gonna go somewhere else for superbikes maybe although most of the seats are gone there as well maybe ducati would you know open up somewhere for him potentially i don't know but yeah, um, either way, regardless of his future, great to see the guy win. Really, really happy for him. Nice to see Grassini winning as, as well. Two back-to-back wins now for, for Grassini at uh, Qatar, so back-to-back wins. So, yeah, just great for Digi and a, a really well-ridden race as well. Like, you know, goes without saying, it's pretty difficult to pass Banyaya and to just sit right behind him like that and make the pass was it's just clinical. And he looks really good on the bike now as well. He, does, he just looks like a, a really good MotoGP rider at this point. Yeah, it's just shame it happened what happened. And again, I think we all agree it's just we all kind of ponder why it took him that long to take a risk. If you're that lost, you 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 throw the ball and ball and you hope and you you throw um you throw a dice and hope you come out on top. It's it's silly and I don't want to come across bad on Frankie Carcetti, but it seems pretty small and it kind of boxed minded that it took them to be basically out of his job before he goes right well we've tried ev- we've tried everything within A to B in terms of Ducati's um, how to make a setup in this like we might as well try something different so surely in fairness like, to Carcetti he is still learning the Ducati so potentially maybe he's like okay well let's try something else maybe once he understands the bike a little bit more he can say let's try this but I suppose it's difficult and Digi's crew chief last year was a rookie crew chief so Maybe there is part of that, but yeah. True. Again, maybe again, if Karshetti, I suppose, is learning it, maybe he's been over overridden in the team in terms of setup, and maybe it's not down to him. So again, we'll we'll just kind of put the kind of the blunt of the blame, I suppose, at Grassini. That it's a bit silly that they waited to not even waited like, but if week in week out he's saying, "Well, I I don't have this feeling, I don't have that feeling," and like they made good progress in the pre-season test he was actually quite quick at the start of the season until a bad crash in Portimao and he got kind of beaten up a bit of an egg beater crash and that kind of set him back a bit so that kind of cost him a decent start of the season and it's just a shame that it took them to the point where he was completely out of the job to before he goes well we might as well try something completely out of the box here and then it works so it's just it just seems a bit single-minded from the team um to be honest but um I've never doubted he's had talent I've just always thought that he's missing something and it clearly was that it was a, a setup change and in the end he's like to be honest, even if he stayed with the team i don't know how well he'd do next year i don't think next year he's going to be multiple race winner podium championship contender i just think that he'd probably be more like alex marcus next year he'd be a lot closer to him so i think it's a shame but even if he signs for honda 
that's like he's a very kind of um confident sensitive writer is what i'd say so when things are going bad he doesn't look like he's enjoying it it, it doesn't come easy whereas when things are going well like right now he looks like he is top of the top of the world so signing for a honda that has no front end and throws you off or sitting on it incorrectly it's just um it, it probably wouldn't be a great uh decision even if it was to keep him in the championship and the vr46 thing i don't think they're too keen on him which is a shame because he's proven that he can win on that bike and he's proven that he's quick so maybe he deserves another chance and maybe then he goes to another team and things work a bit better so um you never know it's, it's hard to tell but unfortunately it looks like he's been chewed out and spit out again so it's uh, probably the end of the road for Digi, which is um, a bit of a shame. Moving on to the man he beat into P1 and got P2, Peko, who tried his best to give the victory to stablemate Luca Mini with the turn one instant with Digia on four laps ago, I believe. Peko, great launch, unlike Harga Martin, gets the lead, controls the race for about 95% of it, loses it with three laps to go. What would you consider was the mistake from Peko, did you think that did you have it was just quicker did you think Peko was thinking P2 is perfect I don't need to win this or was it just a, a kind of matter of if Peko didn't run wide in turn one he probably fights back um, I think the, the race start if we go back to that it was very it was like a Martin kind of race right you got a really good start got to the front just control it from there and I know Banyai's done that plenty of times himself and that's kind of his strategy but it, it's you know it's, it is trademark Martin to be aggressive at the start get the lead and then just control it from there. And I suppose that's, you know, Banyar's seen that work quite a few times now uh, when he's been on the other end of it. So he's obviously decided to do that. And I, like I said, I know he's done it before, but that's actually where probably some of Banyar's best wins have come that way. But Banyar tends to stretch a little bit more. He doesn't tend to just sit right up front, whereas uh, Martin does does do that quite regularly. He can, he can stretch, but also he can have someone right behind him for the whole race and be fine. But the thing with Banyar is, I don't think he had the pace to match Digi anyway. I think Digi was quicker. Um, Digi just struggled to pass him for a long time. I think that was the problem. Um, obviously, Banyo is so good on the brakes, it makes it very, very difficult to overtake him. And Digi Antonio just finally sort of... I think Banyo made a couple of little mistakes, I think that's what Digi said, and it just got him right out to the back of him because I noticed throughout the race as well, out of the last corner, Banyo was getting much better traction than, um, than Digi, and it just kept Digi out of range to pass him down towards turn one. I think if Digi could have got the same launch off the corner that Banyo did, he just slipstreamed him and probably just, you know, levelled him on the brakes at turn one and made the pass, but he, he couldn't, he, he couldn't do that. So he had to try to find a creative way to do it. Obviously did it into the first of the fast rights. Fantastic move as well, by the way, from Digi. But yeah, I think generally it just looked like he was quicker. Um, the fact that, like, he could kind of keep the gap there and even when Banyai pulled away a little bit, he, he, he caught back up. And obviously Banyai pulled away from Marini initially, so Digi came through, overtook, obviously, Alex Marquez and, and Marini to sort of be at the front of that train and then sort of closed the little, like, four or five tenths gap that Banyar had and then obviously went away with him. But I think Banyar, I don't think he had anything. Obviously, he, he really did try, like you say, to, to give the win away. Um, he almost took the both out to turn one, and we saw it with Polis Bagro here last year. It's very easy to do that. To, as soon as you get overtaken, just run straight on. It's the first quarter, especially when a Grassini Ducati overtakes you, it seems. It's very easy to get sucked in and uh, run off, but... He was he was lucky in a way that there's not gravel there because if there's gravel there where, where he ran off, then all of a sudden Martin takes the lead of the championship. I think so. Yeah, it was uh, it was a bit sketchy, and you can see the Ducati guys have had their hearts in their mouths. But I think even if he keeps the position, uh, even if he doesn't run off the track, I think 
he struggles to get that pass. Maybe he has one go, but honestly, at that position, it's not worth going for it because Digi has nothing to lose. Digi's going to go for the win. You know, he, he's not going to get another chance to do this. You know, unless he does it next week, obviously. But you know what I mean. So there'd be no point really fighting him that hard for five points, which, yes, five points is crucial, but when you're gaining like 20 and you're going to go into the, the, the finale with a lot of a big points margin, why risk everything you've got for an extra five points? Iagora could tell you that doesn't work out very well. So oh, <laughs> I managed to bring it up every podcast at this point. I know, I know. <laughs> it's still, I still can't believe that. But yeah, I, I just don't think that he had the pace anyway. I think Digi just looked better, probably looked better on the tyres and... Once he got past, I think he would have just probably pulled away because he just looked a lot quicker. Um, that was Banyai's chance, really, back at Serb 1, because like I said, I think out of the last corner, that was the only place that Banyai was solidly better than Digi Antonio. But obviously with that mistake, that completely nullified that as a potential opportunity for him to re-overtake. And yeah, he brought him second place. That's what he needed to do. But yeah, like you say, he almost threw it away. <laughs> he almost bottled it, which we, we have seen him uh, do in these situations before. It was crazy because we were on board with him, and you just see the clothes he's been. He got such run, you're like, Jesus, this is, this is interesting. And then you see him like, it's like ha- not even go. Over. It's just like it's like he went for it, but then it was literally like alongside his swing arm, and you're like, oh my god, he's not going to do it, is he? And then as he kind of slides behind the the kind of salad box of the brand of Digi's Ducati, it cuts to a shot, and he's like shaking his head as he goes on. It cuts to the Ducati camp and. The carry bosses are just literally frozen in time, sort of staring and just like, I can't believe he's done this. And um, it was stress all over the place for it. And he runs wide and he's shaking his head. And I'm still thinking, Jesus Christ, imagine the amount of sand that's on that kind of painted piece out there. And he's getting his knee yeah, down. Yeah, he got his like, knee down, didn't he? It's crazy. <laughs> we've seen people crash in, in long laps for getting their knee down because it's it's on, um, on rubber tracks. So, like, you've just. It was even then it felt like so cheesy still not out of it, and then he gets back on. I'm thinking, surely Luca will catch him, but I was like, surely Luca then will play the the VR46 game of keeping everyone's eggs happy, I suppose. And he in the end, Pecco gets back and seems to get back to a decent speed and probably was about four seconds behind. But it was was a crazy and to go back to the start of the race, brilliant from him. It was if like I was thinking throughout the race because a lot of times when there's a bit of a lull in the race, then it's kind of this kind of building towards something i'm kind of already thinking of the kind of points i'm going to make in, in the podcast and i was thinking this is the most clinical we've seen peco since austria where we banged on that he is probably one of the best riders on the grid at the time and that he was so good that weekend but it's just the fact that he made his mind up straight away he said on saturday that martins after kind of opening up the battles because of the, the moves he put on him so straight away into turn one led went slightly aggressive and then ran a few other people a bit wide to make sure he got the lead uh, Luca kind of looked at him again but that was that was it and all up until an inspired Fabio Di Antonio passed him that was Peco's best race probably one of the best races he's done all season because of the fact that he lost a good chunk of points on Saturday maybe to a dud tyre again never really have it in paper and, and in set in stone whether it was or not but the fact of the matter is I think Peco himself knew and is that ex- level of experience now that he knew that Saturday was a was a one off that it wasn't that his pace wasn't there and he felt like in his post race interview that he felt 
Saturday should have been the same as what he did today. He should have been able to battle Martin and not lose as many points. So I think he came into Sunday thinking, well, Martin's going to have a tough job to recreate his Saturday and I can only go forward. So I think he came in with an open mind and positive and uh, I think really we've seen a brilliant pecker today. And again, made one mistake under again, it was more the fact he got sucked into the braking zone by a bit of slipstream, lack of air resistance from being behind another bike. So again, we uh, we kind of get dragged into the situation of ride out devices, aero, Michelin. So it's kind of week in, week out. It's getting a bit messy now with all this stuff. But um, thankfully, there was no contact. Thankfully, Digi managed to win it after getting a brilliant race and getting the overtake. But it was uh, it was so close between the two of them. Someone else we haven't really given much time over the last, probably the season really, Fabio Cotteraro. We are missing so much by him being on a Yamaha and not being at the front of the grid. Uh, because Jorge Martin was kind of in the, the lower top 10 positions and Fabio having podium pace on time trial kind of style races, Fabio came forward past Marcus, past Jorge Martin with a beautiful move into turn 10. He was so, so good. And it just made me think, I remember his 21 season. And I remember him last year putting moves in the chicane at Austria on Miller on the Ducati. And just, just so much that we miss having. It's, it's kind of the same as having Marcus on hand. There's just so much that you're, the, the two of them are just box office. And we're just unfortunately not getting to see him. And I'm really hoping that either Yamaha sort their bike out or he gets a contract somewhere else. Because he's too good not to be um at the front of the grid. I, I feel like maybe next year in Superbikes it could be the same with Top Rack if the BMW isn't cutting the mustard. It'll be a damn shame for him not to be at the front if it, if it does go that way. But Fabio for me is just he is right up there with Mark is above I put him still above Martin, Peco, uh, Binder and and, and Bastianini so I still put him up there really close on a pedestal pretty much almost at the level of Marquez, maybe at the level of Marquez, we won't really know until they're kind of given decent equipment. But uh, do you think I'm getting a bit ahead of myself with Fabio, or am I uh, making some sense? No, I think that sounds about right. He's pretty much the only rider that's anywhere near Marquez's level, um, in my opinion, anyway. Um, yeah, Binder's not bad, but um, Binder you go kind of a bit back and forth on, because I feel like Marquez on that KTM, Quattararo on that KTM has snuck a win at this point, whereas Binder hasn't. Yeah. I think he, he's kind of that, that little level behind like he's good that he also makes these mistakes as well like a lot like he's aggressive but then he also messes up the passes quite regularly so yeah i think bender's probably lacking that little bit but yeah fabio i think it's worth giving yamaha a little bit of props they've they've clearly made a step um in these last few rounds ever since pretty much like india they've been much more competitive they've been much closer to the front of the field and on times like this season even like the race runs they've not looked that great i mean they've been not bad but you know, they're not topping like an FP4. I know FP4 doesn't exist anymore, but you know what I mean? It's, what is it, like FP2, I think, is, is the actual session. That's the same thing now. But like, they, they weren't topping FP4s, whereas the last few rounds they have been, and Morbidelli's also been up there topping the times times with him in terms of the actual long-run pace. And he, he's he's had some decent races. I've, like, I think he's had... Did, where did he finish today? Was he 6th, 5th, something like that? Uh, I can tell you now. He was P... Seven. P seven. Okay, so not quite as good as I thought, but yeah. he wasn't too bad in the sprint. I I I can't remember where he finished the sprint actually, but he he was pretty good at Malaysia. That's what I'm thinking. I think he finished like fifth there. He, he came through the pack. Like it's clear the Yamaha is able to overtake a little bit more than previously. That like I think he's making it work. Even Morbidelli because Morbidelli was looking pretty good at Malaysia as well. Obviously, I know Fabio makes the difference with the passes a lot of the time, but it seems like 
seems like it's just a little bit more competitive. They've been saying this weekend, it seems like they've made a, a step with the ride height device, the rear ride height device, because the Yamaha have actually been sort of mid-teens on the, the top speed rather than right at the bottom. So I think that's just it. I think they, they're not quite getting as gapped on the straights while the Ducati's maybe not getting blasted by from quite as far behind. They could stay within contention and Fabio could use his talent to make the difference. Really, it's just missing the qualifying pace, which I don't understand why it's not there. If it's got the race pace, I don't get why it's not got the qualifying pace, but it seems like they just don't find as much time as the, the V4s with the, the soft tyre. And it just it basically ruins the weekend. If you start in like 12th place, that's it. You're not getting through. The only way that happens if you have a crazy race like Mandalika, for example, where obviously he managed to get up to the podium from starting a bit further back. Although, again, there, I think he qualified pretty well. So, yeah, I think it's worth kind of giving a little bit of props there. They have definitely been more competitive since like India onwards. So he's been featuring more in the top 10. And remember earlier on in the season, he was like, they were literally like, 18th, 19th quite a lot and they're pretty far down and they weren't scoring points in the sprint whereas he's solidly in the top 10 every weekend now which I know is not good still for a world champion rider like we see with Marquez as well but they're definitely a bit more closer to it and we're seeing a bit more of him and we're seeing these passes and I think you're absolutely right he's going to be he's going to be really annoyed next year because he's going to see Mark Marquez someone that I think I think Mark and Fabio both pretty much see each other as being very similar in terms of talent. I think they, they, they've battled a little bit off camera that we haven't seen as well with, with being a bit further down the order. They've been pulling some passes and Marquez has said stuff as well like, oh, you should see some of the passes Fabio's pulling back here. And I think Fabio said similar things about Mark. And if you go back to 2019, they, they were battling quite a lot the second half of the season. They were battling to the last lap, like every race. I think they both know how good the other one is, if that makes any sense. Like they both know they're really good and they're probably better than everybody else. And it's going to be really annoying for him to see Marquez on a Ducati, someone that he can battle with, probably cleaning up with the championship, and seeing Morbidelli on a Ducati doing semi-well, someone that he's destroyed for his entire MotoGP career effectively. Like, other than the, what, half a season they weren't teammates, and 2020 was a bit rough, I guess, for Fabio. But um, other than that, you know, he's pretty much destroyed Morbidelli every season. Like, it's not even been close, and... It's going to be hard for him next year to see those two riders, someone that he sees himself as similar as, someone that he sees himself as probably definitely better than, knows that he can destroy on the same equipment, doing well. It's going to be painful for him. Hopefully, the Yamaha does make a step because, like I said, they have improved in these last few rounds. So obviously, they're on the right path. And potentially, you know, starting from fresh, starting a new season with this improvement in performance, there's a bit more to fight for and maybe they can do a bit more. But this is a qualifying pace now. If they can, they can solve that, I think they, uh, the bike is actually not that bad. It's not like the Honda. I think the, the pace can be there for the bike if it's extracted. So, yeah, I'd like to see him on a Ducati or an Aprilia or something just a bit better, although the Aprilia has its own problems. But, um, yeah, it, it is a shame. It is a shame not to see him at the front because last year he's pulling off some heroics. Obviously, 2021 he was as well. But it just... You think back now, you look at, like, where that bike is this year and you think back to last year. How is he pulling out some of those performances? It's just, just beyond belief. What I'd actually like to see, to be honest, right, and it's it's um, unlikely to happen. I'd actually like to see him stay with Yamaha, but if we lose the aero bit and get rid of the right device, I think that brings him brings Yamaha right back into the picture, and I think then we get to see. So still, I I really like him on the Yamaha. And I really like the 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 whole kind of color scheme. I like the the Diablo on the back of the suit and everything. That it looks nice on the Yamaha. And I think he's kind of 
we had the Rossi years, we had the Lorenzo years, then we had the, the Rossi Maverick kind of partnership. And he came on and kind of took the mantle from them and took that team to another level again. And I still like, I still think like that for years, Marcus and Honda. I think we could have years of Quartararo, Yamaha, I think Peco, Ducati, Binder, KTM. Um, so it, it, it could just be a nice collaboration throughout the season. I think it's it's getting closer to the point we might lose the right out devices on a safety round because the with the current agreement in GP, I think I've said this on multiple cars podcasts, but if something wants to be changed, so for example, we'll say just for reference, right out devices, rare right out devices. If all the teams vote for that to go, perfect. No problem, they're gone, nobody bats an eyelid. But if one team doesn't agree we're going to say Ducati because it will be Ducati because they've spent millions getting this tech before and else they've came up with the idea everyone else has copied it and uh, copied their homework for want of a better phrase so they're obviously not going to give away their baby and give away um tech that is definitely giving them an advantage it's just making them a lot quicker you saw how Peko got out of that last corner Peko is brilliant at using the right out device to his advantage um so it's a massive advantage it's a massive gap that they have to everyone else even though ktm and everyone else has it the gap still you still think that just with the engine just with the right device with all their venturi aero devices they have on that bike it just ties in to be that project of amazing amazing results wherever we go in the world so if they don't agree to it that's it they can't they can't force ducati to agree to it but if it can be kind of angled on a safety ground they do not need to include the teams it will be banned immediately straight away no question and i think the fact that ever since they've come in they've i can think of like easily seven eight i could probably if i spent a minute i could probably think of more than double digits how many times they've failed in races and how many different times we've talked about them so um like when they first came in people are saying oh makes the bike safer out of corner but doesn't really because what it does is make the bikes more dangerous on entry because of the extra speed the load and everything else and it's it's clearly putting michelin under savage pressure it's not helping the racing it's not going to be tech i know gp kind of gets away with being because of the prototype it doesn't need to kind of have a feedback to being on like it doesn't need to be on the v4r on the road or the v4s or whatever the road variant is i think you can get the r for the road as well but um, the whole point is that fair enough in superbikes you don't want the stupid tech because you don't you're never going to see it on the road it will have no benefit on the road whereas GP kind of is the prototype and you can kind of try things with GP and to be fair we've had this era now of aero and uh, this ride out devices and these crazy lap times and crazy top end speeds I think they need to take it back a bit going to 850 800 cc engines is wrong we tried that it failed it was shocking there's no question. All it did was make them peaky in power and they just improved in corner speed and it made them not enjoyable to ride for the riders, which at the end of the day, it is their job at the end of the day. You don't want to make bikes that aren't nice to ride and they weren't really amazing in terms of battles. They were just meh. When we back to the thousands for, for 13, it was a, a good step. And to be honest, if you go from 13 through to, we'll say 18, 19, we had good years there of racing, whereas 19 to now, World Superbikes has absolutely dominated in terms of um kind of people just kind of with the, the overall pound for pound champions in terms of battling and of course you have to mention bsb and that you probably throw more american there really if you want to kind of get deep down into it but i just think overall that is one of the biggest issues and i'm still talking here but fabio in a way with yama that if you bring it all back we still have fabio at the front if there isn't 
as many of these gizmos. I, again, I'll kind of throw back to you to see what you think, but I'm fairly sure I already know the answer. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you kind of take the gizmos away. It's about the bike again, uh, rather than, mm-hmm. you know, these extra things. I think that helps the Honda as well. Because I think ultimately they're cool. I think bike-wise, they're not that bad. Like, if you look at their problems, it's like the, the, the Honda, for example, doesn't have a very good front end. But if you take the ride height device off all of a sudden, there's not as much pressure going through that front end and perhaps the bike is a bit more competitive and you know it's it's not you know you're not crashing it quite as much and the Yamaha that it's kind of problem is like it also can't break that deep which I guess you know um it, when it's going up against these bikes with really good rider devices that makes it difficult um obviously doesn't get off the corner well actually it does get off the corner quite well um but it's sort of that top end and that extra little bit of maybe pushing the tire into the ground and qualifying so I think you take off these gizmos I think the ride height device doesn't ultimately all of a sudden bring Yamaha and Honda back into it like completely because I think they're still lacking in other areas of the aero. I think it probably helps. Um, it probably actually helps Honda more than the Yamaha, quite honestly, because Yamaha seems to have got theirs pretty well dialed in now, if, if it's to be believed that they're, they're doing a little bit better. I mean, it helped Yamaha on the straights a little bit, but I think it'll make the Honda a bit more rideable. Um, but I think the Yamaha is a pretty good bike. So if you actually take some of these extra bits away, it definitely brings it back in. 100% because the bike is still good. If you take off like those side skirts off of the, the, the Ducati, the Yamaha just turns underneath it. Like it's still so good. Whereas you whip the arrow, if you whip all the arrow off all the bikes, the Yamaha is gone. Like it is completely gone. Like, no one sees which way it goes because the Yamaha still turns really well without the arrow. Pretty quicker on the straights without the arrow, quite honestly, because it's not got so much drag. So yeah, I, I think if you got rid of all that stuff, the Yamaha, 100%. It's best bike. You're clamoring to get on a Tech 3 again, you know, like back in the day. Like, even got yeah. on a satellite, Yamaha was unbelievable back then. You you know, you could have a you could have a couple of podiums a year on that, you know, back in that era. But, yeah, I think uh, taking away those gizmos definitely helps Yamaha. Also probably helps Honda as well. As well as more importantly, regardless of what road you support, what team you support, it helps the show. And at the end of the day, we all... Like I, I spent way too much time watching races from like 2002 and 2004 and 2008 and stuff, and just the, the way the bikes move around. And again, like between the the two of us, we watch BSB. We, we watch the occasional Motor America race when they're they're <laughs> streamed on YouTube. They're a bit of fun, and it's just when bikes are when they move around a bit more, it just is a bit more. It feels more authentic. It feels a bit more what we're used to. Whereas these, like if you watch a GP bike, if you just literally watched an outside shot of Harga Martin. The thing doesn't move. It might drift into turn one a small bit on some tracks. It is so stable. It is so low. It is I suppose in a way it's 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 an amazing feat of engineering. But that doesn't mean that they're amazing in terms of racing. I think Formula One have probably struggled when maybe like the 2018, 2017 where they had really wide and big tires and stuff like that. And again, lap times were like ridiculous. They broke every record under the sun but it was about three overtakes in all season so again we're kind of going down that route of we had a brilliant formula and Ducati with all these money have kind of pushed the boundary out and we've kind of gotten to a point now where they've kind of pulled the the, the, the rug out from everyone else and they have this whole championship to themselves nearly this point which was it like top five yes in the sprint like today there was so many top of them six on the grid as well doing. so again it just shows that bike is with everything going on and I think you you made a good point there of on the Yamaha come forward but the big thing uh, you didn't kind of mention is if you take away the gizmos from the Ducati that Ducati is back to being what Valentino dumped in 2012-2011 and, and jumped onto his Yamaha again it goes back to being a nervous bike with an amazing engine that can't put the power down that doesn't turn naturally and they 
do okay at Magello, they'll do well at Austria, but then they're missing for the rest of the year. It's the fact that they have all these aero devices. Now, again, throughout the, the end of the Davi, start of the Miller, start of Peco era, it, it was kind of like they always kept saying that year on year the bike started to turn more, but that was as more aero developed on the bike. So I still don't think that, that Ducati turns on natural chassis wise as well as a, a Yamaha uh, an Aprilia probably is in the same boat with being kind of more of a what just the way their geometry set up it's more like an inline 4v4 and to be honest Aprilia is a bit of weird because they kind of have boat issues they can't they're, they're quick around the track they have the v4 but they still they're not kind of king of anything so um I think we see look at the Yala like today look how much he struggled exactly. to pass people and yesterday as well, same yeah. same thing. He couldn't pass Banyard. Like he just, he, he basically is level with them going into the breaking zone, and then he's completely behind them. But that's when he actually gets the apex. Like, yeah, it's like he keeps shadowing them, and when he does go up in a move, you're like, oh my god, he's actually going for it. It's, it's and it, it, to be honest, it, it's a bit of a maverick trait. He's it never is. been yeah, that's true. Like, when when he was with Yamaha alongside Valentino, it really showed that his he was never able to do. He could never match Valentino in in terms of overtaking and like a lot of the. 17 season after Maverick kind of lost his way Maverick would qualify on the front row and Valentino would beat him in the race and I think 18 it kind of went on like that as well where for for the most part Maverick would do way better towards the weekend and then Valentino would come back on him during the race and you'd see him a lot closer and, and Valentino could get more out of in terms of it on a Sunday which is where the points are so I still think even now on the Aprilia and I, I think again it's because the Aprilia is, is the V4 Yamaha that we, we kind of all think it is so I think he jumped on the Aprilia and he probably thought himself, job, I've got myself a a, a version of a Ducati without the the, the, the big du- Ducati sign on it. So I think he probably thought he's getting into something a bit different, but really it's it's a V4 Yamaha at its core and it does a lot of things amazing. I think that's why when we go to a track on Friday, they're so quick because it does work well. But when the Ducati start to crunch the numbers and they all start coming back and the KTMs kind of understand a bit more and get a bit dialed in, I think they start to go backwards. And that's why we kind of see them a bit off this, off the uh, off the kind of front at the end of the race. But we're going to move now to just a couple more bits before we get to the end of the podcast. We're going to jump from one Aprilia rider to the other. We're going to end it with a positive after this, but a late incident. Um, it's been a messy, messy, messy weekend. Probably the most messy weekend I've remembered for a while for this sort of stuff. Um, Reese, I suppose you can you can take it away and kind of give the in-depth analysis of the whole situation, really, and how his weekend played out. Well, he's had a pretty rough couple of weekends, right? I mean, in, in Malaysia, he had like about what four crashes in a day, four or five crashes on Friday, which you know wasn't great. And the rest of the weekend, really didn't pick up from that. I think he, did he crash out the race as well, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly? I think he retired. Oh, yeah, okay. Crashed one okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, it wasn't looking good for him there. Obviously, he jumped to this weekend. Um, similar kind of thing. I think he still crashed on Friday. Uh, then was it was it Saturday? Was it Saturday morning that this happened? Or was it, yeah, yeah. FP yeah. end of FP three. Yeah. Um, he comes across. Um, in fact, actually, I think he's going around and Morbidelli comes across him. Morbidelli makes a pass on him, which he's entitled to do. Yeah, it's a bit annoying if you go for a lap time, I guess, that someone's overtaken you. But again, it's in, within the right. They go side by side. It's through turn four that he makes the pass. They go side by side through five. Up the run towards six. Mobadelli pretty much gets fully in front at this point. The, the wheels are still side by side. Um, some people say that Mobadelli was then coasting, but I, I don't think he was. I think he was still going um, still going for it. Perhaps maybe take a different line to, to Aleish. But basically, Aleish then sends it up the inside of Mobadelli. Breaks probably too late anyway, like straight up. 
on the dirty part of the track a little bit as well. So kind of the bike starts to wobble, he has to release the brakes. Then he just runs them both off the circuit. So really, Morbidelli's once been egregious here because he's been run off the circuit. But Aleish starts doing the typical Aleish, really throwing his arms around, getting all irate because he's a very fiery character. We've seen him do it many, many times. Uh, Morbidelli sort of pulls alongside him to say, like, calm down, you know, stop getting so angry. And Aleish then just smacks him on the visor. And then sort of like rides off uh, from him, which, you know, you can't do. You, you can't lay your hands on somebody else, wave your arms around them all you want, even kick out at them, which is frowned upon as well. But if you're not actually making contact, then, you know, it's more of a gesture. It's not an intent, you know, kind of thing. I mean, even that, you know, it's frowned upon, shouldn't do it. But if you just kick out someone a little bit, then, you know, that's not so bad. Or, or wave your hand towards them. But to actually like go and deliberately make contact with him, like smack him on the head. Yeah, all right. Didn't hurt Mobadelli, of course. You know, it's, it's not like that's, but that's not the point. It's the fact that it's dangerous. You know, you need to have the respect, and you know, doing it on a live track as well. Somebody else could be coming around. I know they were sort of off the track, but you know, you're not paying attention. And what if, like, it did sort of like you know, make Mobadelli sort of crash because it kind of, you know, unexpected and you know, kind of caught him off guard. We've seen in the past celebrations go wrong. Um, I remember, I think it might have been 2020 Moto Two, the two Sky VR46 bikes. Tried to sort of high five each other, ended up knocking each other off. Very easily done. Yeah. And you know, if he, if he pushes Morbidelli's face, Morbidelli falls off his bike. He falls into the circuit, and you know, someone's going around on a hot lap. You know, it could be a terrible accident. So you know, that that's the thing. Like, yes, all right. It wasn't a really. It wasn't like he like beat him up or anything like that. It wasn't like fisty cuffs in the gravel like we've seen John McPhee and um, Jeremy Alcoba do a few years ago. But just needless as well because you're battling someone in like FP two. It's not. It's not worth anything. Like it's, it's it's completely ridiculous. Like I just because it's not even the session that gets you through either. Because that's on Friday. So literally, basically, just pushed like like kind of punched Morbidelli. Well, I didn't punch him. I guess slapped his helmet for like no reason. Just it just made himself look a bit silly. Unneeded. Also makes himself look a bit silly. Get angry about an incident that was his own fault as well. And. Yeah, he then got a sixth place uh, penalty and a ten thousand euro fine, which obviously not very really much to him. You know, you're a factory of Prelia money. You're not exactly short ten thousand, but it's nice for the charity, I guess, that it that it goes to at the end of the year. And just yeah, the sixth place penalty maybe not enough. I mean, like I said, the John McPhee Alcoba incident, for example, they got pit lane starts and penalties in terms of seconds on top of that. So, you know, maybe starting from the pit lane. For example, because what kind of example is that setting as well to the other people? We had the Asia Talent Cup guys there this weekend. Not that it matters whether they're there or, or not, but you know, you've got these riders. They're there. They're probably watching them. They're obviously watching the MotoGP race. They're watching the MotoGP riders. They all of a sudden think, oh, well, if someone annoys me on track, I'm going to give them a slap or whatever. And you just can't do it just because it's just it's just dangerous, isn't it? Like, in terms of it. Like, like I said, obviously, it's not really caused any injury to Mobidelli at all, but that's not the point. It's just. It's just unsportsmanlike as well, and that's that you know that's part of it. It's just why do it? Like it just, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah, maybe you could have had a back of the grid penalty, but yeah, just just a silly incident overall. Alesh not made himself look great, and then his weekend just got worse from that because he got knocked off on the first lap of the sprint. Um, he's fractured his uh, is it is it his fibula or the, the top of that that he's what? top of the fib over yeah, top of the fib. So he fractured that, and then. Pretty much probably only started the race to take his penalty, I, I would imagine, to make sure it wasn't carried over to the next round. Um, or, you know, next race that he does. And he obviously retired pretty early on. So, terrible weekend for him. Obviously, you know, not great what happened to him in the race. And also, actually, worth noting, Oliveira also now, for the rest of the season, broke his shoulder blade in that accident. So, we do wish Oliveira a speedy recovery. I haven't actually got it in the notes, but whilst I'm talking about that incident that happened in the sprint, 
but yeah, Elias just doesn't come out looking very good. And I think in terms of these last few flyaways, it's been a messy weekend, messy couple of weekends. He just needs to kind of get his head down in Valencia, have a good weekend and reset over the winter because he had a really good middle part of the season. But these last few rounds, he's just seemed really, really flustered and annoyed about different things. And he, he just needs to chill out because, it's, you know, it's not it's not on to be slapping other eyes, disrespectful, going in, shouting at the marshals that he's been doing as well, shouting at his team. Just, just needs to calm down a little bit. Yeah, and, and to, to mention Oliveira there to start, he did cause the incident in the sprint. He has been given a long lap penalty for the next race, but he's going to miss the rest of the season. So when we come back to Qatar for the start of 24, he's going to have a penalty there for that weekend. So just a heads up as a, a long, long distance penalty, unfortunately for him. So uh, again, we wish him a speedy recovery. His season probably couldn't end fast enough after all the incidents and bad luck he's had so unfortunately he's going to start next year again as he ended this year kind of probably a bit banged up and getting penalized for others mistakes and, and this time it was his mistake unfortunately but it's a it's been a rough season on a leash a pit lane start is the only thing for me um i see because the rule you have to follow the rules in some sense i would have penalized them heavily here but also penalized them somehow in valencia so a pit lane start here and a double long lap penalty maybe in valencia because there's there's no point in giving him a pit lane start and double long because you've like you can only penalize him so much in that race. He, if he's getting a pit lane start, he ain't doing much in that race. So it's kinda of no point putting extra two points or two penalties on top of that. So to go and put him on another penalty in Valencia, that kind of ruins that weekend as well. And it just really, really clamps down to show that it's not okay because we've seen this instance before I, I believe Casey Stone and Hector Barber kinda of give him a little punch in his arm and I don't remember what Casey got for that at the time. I think it was just a fine at the time for that one, but it's um it's not acceptable. It's it's really really bad. And uh, Frankie has said a lot of lot of things in the media about him. Um, Alice seems to be getting pretty odd. Something about he said about his kids. Now again, I'm going to be honest. I reckon that's probably taken out of context and maybe lost in translation. I don't think Vinales or Vinales Morbidelli would go after Alice's kids over an instance on track. From my understanding, what he said essentially was that throughout Alicia's career, he's had more of these negative moments than good moments. It's kind of the, the bottom line of what I've seen. He, like, Marbelletti's title was opinion, but it was um, it was just messy. And then the penalty actually puts him on the back same grid spot next to Marbelletti. And on the way to the sprint, into the last corner, Alicia sits Marbelletti up for no reason. It was picked up on screen, and it was kind of a quick mention, but they kind of didn't want to give it too much coverage. They put... For no reason, he just kind of picks him up like out of, out of the blue. I don't know if you you spotted that. But yeah, I did see that. Nester, you can. I just I don't understand like why he's, he's thrown his twice out of pram when it was his mistake. He went deep. Marbelli was on a lap. He like the fact that he passed him and then tries to lunge back at him. And Marbelli is trying to stay on his lap and trying like if you pass someone while they're doing a decent speed, you're clearly trying to keep your lap going. So is probably on some sort of race run or or whatever, trying to get prepared for Q1. But for whatever reason, um, Aleish lunges, pushes them both off track, and then the slap is just um, not acceptable at all. So it's a poor weekend from Aleish on and off the track. So um, he'll have to reset. I'm not really sure if he'll be in Valencia tomorrow in, in a week's time just because of the injury. Um, I saw a statement why he retired from the race wasn't because of the injury. He said that his leg had swollen up and he basically had lost power. Um, in my honest opinion, I think it was the main thing it was just to get to get the penalty cleaned off the plate and get that done. Um, we've seen 
issues before with Marquis at the start of the season missing races because penalties were handed out wrong and it all ended up kind of a, a mess so I think uh, sometimes it's better off to kind of come to the track and get the penalty cleared but uh, I reckon that was probably the, the main reason why he raced today but to finish up Marini solid weekend we get the championship then to finish off the podcast but pole position two podiums a man who's possibly on his way to Repsol Honda we're still no closer to knowing um, probably Luca's best weekend of the season is that fair to say? I'd say it's uh, it's best weekend of GP I would say um, to be honest uh, pole position two podiums pretty good pretty low key as well he didn't really play a part yeah. in, in in the weekend generally obviously he kind of shot everyone with the pole position which I know he has done previously at Mandalika but still it was a surprise to see him on pole position because he hadn't looked like amazing all weekend it wasn't like he was odds on favourite or anything and then obviously sort of ran second place in the sprint and the main race for a while, got passed by people and then seemed to just find his way back past them um, as the race went on Alex Marquez, especially I think Alex Marquez, I think he might have put the same pass on him in both races, but either way in the end, Alex Marquez struggled and, and ended up dropping back a little bit in both of them and two third places, you know, you can't really go wrong with that to be fair to Marini, pretty low key, um, you know, didn't, like I said, didn't feature too much, so I don't have a lot to say about him, but Fair play to him because he's not exactly a podium hound, particularly. You know, he just had to struggle. And he's massively outperformed Bezeki this weekend. Bezeki was nowhere all weekend. I mean, we were on about Martin having a dud tyre and he's saying that he got, you know, his tyre's been ruined. Bezeki was still miles behind Martin. So, yeah, I, I guess he's still injured a little bit, is Marco. But, yeah, it's um, f- fair play to Marini. He's got all these rumours going around. Well, so as he knows what's actually going on, so I suppose for him it's not so much a rumour, but he knows what's going on with him and HRC and stuff, and yeah, it's, a, it's best weekend at GP so far, I would say, massively outperformed his teammate, two podiums, pole position, couldn't really go much better for him, and yeah, if he is going to end up going to HRC, I think that'll be interesting, but definitely perhaps uh, helped his case a little bit there, you could say that, you know, he's when the, when the bike's working for him, he's, he's solid and couldn't bring him good results. Makes you wonder is he is it the right decision to leave when he's he's had Absolutely a decent not. season no. so, <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> yeah. so, why, so why would you i mean i guess honda will probably get there eventually like if you believe their history and if he really wants to be a factory rider maybe he could try to build the project but you know you're on a bike that's just won the race like in, in the hands of another guy so yeah like it, it's a you're on a race winning bike you'll be to well to be fair a race winning bike i guess technically if you look at austin but you know what i mean it's uh mm-hmm. It's a pretty terrible bike. Like it's barely a top ten bike at every track, except Austin, I guess. So unless you want one winner season and nothing else, then yes, uh, you know, if you want one one winner season and lots of injuries, then the Honda's the way to go. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a strange move, definitely. It's been rumored that it'll be a three-year deal, so he'll have plenty of time to kind of build uh, the team around him. And it could be a master truck, maybe if these right height devices get banned and. Maybe if the, if the tech starts to kind of go away a bit, the Honda will straight away be closer to the front, which then means they can develop the bike around Mir, Marini, Zarco, and eventually, I suppose, Ayagor when he probably gets up into that position there. So it, it's an interesting 18 months, two years that's ahead of Honda. And, and I suppose if Marini is taken to kind of captaincy there of that and kind of taken the taken to charge, and to be fair, You'd imagine, maybe not as drastically as we've seen in the past, but if Ducati lose some of their tech, they will lose a bit of their advantage and Honda will go forward. So maybe it wouldn't be as bad as we think. Maybe it won't be as crazy as we all think. Now, at the moment, it does seem majorly a, a silly move. There'll be a massive paycheck from Honda, you'd imagine. 
Um, he'd be the kind of rider Honda would need, that kind of rider that's very thoughtful, very uh, good with data and kind of a, probably a very good development rider. But He doesn't crash um, a lot he, either, he made... so you know that might be helpful. I know the Honda's easier to crash, but generally he's not a crasher, so to actually bring the bike home yeah. would be a start for them. Exactly, yeah, getting, like, even when Stefan Brattle turns up most weekends, he either crashes in qualifying or doesn't make the flag, or if he does, he's doing, like, two or three seconds off the pace at the end, so it's um, questionable whether that data is any use, but you touched there on the fact that he's getting off a bike that won the race in someone else's hands, but that's probably the issue. He's not winning on that bike. He's not in favour on that bike, of course. He probably has a contract with Valentino for probably many years to come if he wants to stay you probably do you want to go down knowing that you're gonna he's i don't say he's like he's well deserving of the seat there like but he probably wants to prove more that he's a top class rider in his own sense then oh i rode my brother's team for six seasons and i got three wins and seven pole positions i i did decent for myself but oh, i was always comfortable in Taylor's team he, he probably doesn't want that to be his outline of his whole career i'd imagine that in his eyes he goes to Honda and if it does work maybe he ends up in that Ducati again in, in 18 months time two years time maybe he breaks the contract gets back to VR46 so you never know really what the like who would have said at the when Marcus broke his arm in, in 20 that he wouldn't win a title for a couple of years and then end up on a satellite Ducati so it's um in, in this sport it's constantly changing but to end off on a probably the, the point we've all kind of been here for the championship Reese, is it done? Yeah. is it not? it's is done it in, Oh, that is straight away. <laughs> it, that it's was completely. Gonna, it's, it's done. Yeah. I'm not alone. completely. Yeah, I unless Banyaya really chokes, it, it's done because Martin has struggled the last couple of weekends in the Grand Prix, and he basically needs to win the Grand Prix and the sprint. So it's going to be difficult for him to even do that. And you know, Banyaya's only got a you know, finish you know, so far behind. Same situation as last year, really. Um, I mean, he did struggle with that. He obviously felt the pressure. He kind of choked a little bit. Like, you know, he was really coasting around slow. But he's won a championship now, so it's probably not going to happen as much. And, you know, he's got Bastianini as potentially as a bit of a backup rider to him if if needed. And some of the other riders are just, you know, he's going to probably beat the Hondas regardless of what happens and uh, stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I can't see Martin pulling it back now. I think it's too big of a gap, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, sorry to put a bit of a damp squib on it, but... Yeah, I, I think it's completely done. Um, it, it was not as stretch as it was, but he was already going to have to like make sure he beat him. He was going to try and basically have to try and win everything until this point. And uh, yeah, now it's just it's just not going to happen now. I, I, I don't think because what's the gap? 20, is it 21 points now? 21, 22, I think. Yeah, so that's like, that's a whole race wins worth. You don't get, you get peanuts for the sprint because I've, I felt quite bad for him in a way that in that in the sprint race, he wins. Banyard's fifth. The gap, the swing there's like three points. Like, yeah, that's that's less than like a first, a second gap. Oh no, know. it was it was seven points because we have to. Oh, so seven. To okay, fair enough. It's just over a first. Like, it's worse to finish third to him in the main race than it was to finish fifth there. Like, I, yeah, like which makes sense because it's a fifty percent race, fifty percent points. It's fair, but like, it's it's difficult to, and that's where he's strong. So he's difficult for him to make big inroads because even if Banyard does pretty badly in the sprint you don't gain much back um whereas in the main race that's where he seems to struggle more or where Banyard comes stronger so it, it's always in, I, I thought I, I my money was with Martin until this weekend until today but from now there's one round left 21 points Banyard's just got to bring it home 
he's he's perfectly capable of doing that. I think two top fives have pretty much do it, and he's 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 pretty much done that all season. So yeah, I, I think it's done. Yeah, I, I don't think it's completely done because I think like we've gone to Valencia before and championships have ended. Well, yeah, of course, ways, technically it's it, possible, but I just don't see it. Yeah, yeah. I just think the whole show at Valencia of weather, the track, GP at the moment, it does just does a lot of pharaohs at the moment. In fact, we have a sprint. Um, that just throws everything into it. So, like we've we've seen it through. Like again, look at Holgado season one or three. True. For first. That didn't two, unravel in like one race though. True, true, but like it, it, anything can happen. Yeah, like you can't yeah. have like dips and. I mean, look at Banyaya. So. Like, who would have thought after Austria that he would be taking this battle, like you know, to the last to the last yeah. round after like the way he'd won there and Martin was at P seven. Like and Bezeki was still the closest guy at that point, I think. So let I me mean, look at Bezeki now. Yeah. Like, if if yeah. if Bezeki if Martin hadn't set to the plate, Banyard would wrap it weeks ago. So yeah, exactly. It was. I think Martin has done a stellar job to kind of get himself back on the plate, and I think he kind of sees an opportunity of really getting an opportunity to win something. The fact that Peko was walking in wounded and stuff, but I, I think it's it's more possible than last year. Put it that way. I think last yeah, year we're that's true. Like 22 points. That's true. But I think the sprint will probably decide it. I think Martin needs to win the sprint and Peckham basically needs a non-score. And if that doesn't happen, I think it's over. But Zarko so needs to do his Marquez move that uh, they tried at the end of this Yeah, that, that attempt <laughs> murder that was. That was ridiculous. That was... That was that was one of that was one of sixty nine million moves tonight that was just stupid and it made no sense. And like Zarko's not that sort of writer. It's just it's everything's getting messy at this point and it's going, it's very like from an honest I felt like this weekend was very Abu Dhabi twenty one with Perez doing all that kind of defensive driving and sending yeah. it on Lewis and it just feels all like that and I, I hated that and I hated the way that season ended. That's still like, that was still of, more fair though than <laughs> than what La Masia was doing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the teammate issue there, but the, the ending that was bloody ridiculous as well. But uh, we're, we're going to end the podcast with a, a tweet 32 minutes ago from Prima Pamic Racing Motor GP. So, oh, this will be interesting. Uh, this, is, this is a good one. It might be lost and translated, but um, when life gives you lemons, make a comeback. Disappointed, but not defeated. Um, do, you, do you have anything to add to that one? Uh, classical term there, taking and twisted into something interesting. Um, bit of a weird one uh, i don't get the humor of when life gives you lemons make a comeback but uh yeah, yeah they're, they're probably trying to keep their heads above water and i think um yeah maybe if he squeezes lemon juice into banyai's eyes or something maybe that's how he yeah. wins the championship yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah there's maybe mario style lemons off the back of it <laughs> yeah mario can't stop chicken lemons beyond it <laughs> uh but yeah uh, on that wild note um, i think we've all kind of given our predictions that championship is done in most senses i always pretty i wouldn't say confident but i always felt like somehow pecco would find a way to get this title across the line i just thought that the fact that like like i said factory writer already won a title he's made it a lot harder he's, than it should have been i think we yeah, can agree on exactly. that he, he's done it to peck away of kind of like it's like last year yeah. <laughs> yeah like there was no need like um like there's a couple of misfires and i still think next year when he goes up against um or the next couple of years when it's a uh, Pedro Costa, Marquez, Aldeguer, a, a, a competitive machine under Fabio. I still think that he has a lot to do to beat them in terms of consistently over a year. But yeah, you don't moment, crash four times and still beat Marquez, do you? No, no, you do not. You um, 
you, you don't crash at all and you still don't beat Marcus. Well, yeah, that's um, true. Alentino finished every race in 2018 and still wasn't anywhere near uh, Marcus. Yeah, how many times has he on the podium? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's true. So I'm sure that's Simeon true. finished yeah. most of the races, but I don't think... That's true too, but... Uh, I suppose we will end it there. We will be back in one week's time for the finale and we will have our third championship settled. Thank you for listening in. If you are listening in on Spotify, do give us a five rating stars just because it helps get the podcast out there. And we want to end off season two of the MotoGP Extra podcast on a high, just like Peko Bagnaya. But thank you all for tuning in. We shall see you in a week's time in Valencia. Bye-bye.